0: Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Okay, so next up, I'd like to invite the wonderful man, my husband, Kewan Foster. (laughs) Okay, so Kewan's going to be preaching for us tonight, so I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and we'll get in. Thank you, Jesus, for Kewan, and thank you for um, for the word that you've given to him. I pray that you'll be able to give it as clearly and as uncontaminatedly as possible. And we pray for, for our hearts, Jesus, that you would open them up to receive your seed and that it may grow in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the intro parkour video. Uh, you would have recognized me in the video. I shaved, um, but we did it a few months ago. So, But I'm here tonight not to jump around and do backflips. I'm here to preach. And uh, so you'll forgive me. I'm not going to be doing any of that live. And uh, we are in a... Excellent season. Our theme as a church is having faith to flourish. And we're looking at the book of First Thessalonians. If you go on our Hatfield Facebook page, there's an excellent video there from the Bible Project. And it will give you a great intro and background to the first letter of the Thessalonians. Because we're busy reading it together as a community. Or we're supposed to be reading it together. And, you know, I confess I'm, I'm part of the preaching team. But wow, even to read the book of First Thessalonians in November is difficult... And so I had to get my act in order this, this week, and I've read it, and it's life-changing, and it's amazing. But, you know, there's so much grace. If you haven't started reading it yet, I know tonight the last video you're going to watch is the Bible Project, 1 Thessalonians, and you'll get on track and start reading the book of 1 Thessalonians. And why we are looking at that letter is it's a letter that uh, Paul wrote, and a, couple of his, and a couple of his friends wrote it with him, to the Thessalonian church, a church that they'd planted a few years earlier. And it was a church that was in a culture where most of the new believers had abandoned their idols and their, and their pagan lifestyle to follow the living God. And they were so passionate about God and passionate about living differently and, and not just uh, uh, speaking the message but being the message in their lifestyle. Holiness was a big, a big, a big theme for them. But it was holiness in their context, in their front lines at work. So they didn't see holiness as withdrawing and not being um, amongst the people in their communities. They saw holiness as living differently in their communities. But the Thessalonian church, when this letter was written, was under persecution. And the passion that they had felt in the beginning was being tested. And so Paul wrote them a letter to encourage them to continue to be holy, And also to carry on, even in spite of persecution, some of them were going to get killed. And so it's such an important letter for us as a church today because we're also a church community and thank goodness we're not being persecuted. Most of us are not fearing for our lives, but we are in an interesting season. We're in a tough season. And, you know, even if it wasn't just at this church, it is November and November is tough and it almost feels like we're being persecuted just by the month itself and so, <laughs> so it's extremely relevant anyway you see it. What Paul said to the Thessalonians, we can really look at it and it has meaning for us tonight. And so while I was looking at uh, what we should talk about tonight, we're going to look at some verses from the second chapter of Thessalonians. We're trying to look at the different chapters. And I was struck by some of the encouragement that Paul gave to the church. And it got me thinking a little bit about my own experiences. You see, Paul talks to uh, a church, we talk about a church gathered and a church scattered, so he's ch- talking to the church gathered when they're together like we are tonight, but to give them instruction for when they're scattered, when they go out to their work or their universities, and he gives some very wise instruction to them, and uh when he talks about living differently and, and uh, how to be holy in a context, I was struck by some of his words that, that challenged me in how I live differently at, at work. And um, if I think about my work, we've got different personalities, but my personality is one of those you know, workaholic type of personalities. So if I don't watch myself, I maybe do a little bit too much work because I value work. And how we spend our time is really a, a good picture of, of what we value, and I like my work, hallelujah. And not, not everyone here feels like they like their work, but I know I like my work, and I value it. So I give it a lot of time. And so one of the ways that this shows is that I wake up early in the morning and try to get to meetings early. And I realize because I value something and I want to you know, put effort into it, it requires some sacrifice. So my sacrifice is I wake up early to try to get to work first and try to get to the meetings first. And then I do a little bit of extra preparation, because I value it. So I put in the time sacrifice, because my work is important to me. Well, it was important to me from January to October, but now, when November came, (laughs) I started getting tired. Is there anyone who's tired yet tonight? (laughs) It's not you, it's November. (laughs) November has made you tired. And when I started getting tired, I realized this something in my life that that I was so willing to pay the price for something that I thought was valuable, as long as the price was reasonable. But it becomes less and less reasonable to wake up early in November. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm waking up early, but it feels like it's getting more expensive. It costs me more to wake up. And you know what I must confess? In the last two weeks, I've just decided it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Yeah, I I thought I valued this. I thought it was important, but my actions tell me otherwise. Actually, when the chips were down and I got really tired and it was really difficult, I realized, actually, you're not worth it. Work. I haven't been fired yet. Okay. No. But (laughs) And it's got me thinking about this idea of value and how value is so important to us because, you know, God created us. And one of the things that he put in us was a need to have value. We want to get value from someone or something. And in this process, I realized one of the ways I was getting value was from my work. My work gave me value. It gave me a sense of meaning and purpose. And I was okay to sacrifice for something that I thought was valuable. But the problem is, is that when things got tough at work, or I got tired because it's November, what I was getting from work became less and less so. It's a bit of like a feedback loop. It felt like I was giving now everything to work, but later on in your work, uh, later on in the year, the work just felt like it's not giving me anything back. It's not giving me that same kick anymore. It's not giving me that same sense of purpose. And so there was a breakdown, and what it did was it revealed a lie that I was believing. And the lie is that I thought that work gives me value, and so I should give everything to work. And you see, when things are going well, it's easy to live in this lie, but one of the wonderful things that tough times do, or when you're tired, it reveals something of the truth. And it reveals that although work was giving me something, actually it wasn't giving me enough. And so I find myself in the conundrum now where actually even a great job, best job in the world is actually still not enough. And I wonder if there's things in your life, things that you hold dear that are valuable to you, that are maybe giving you a little bit too much value. Where God designed it to help you, and it's supposed to be in its proper place, but somewhere along the line, it's become, well, we sometimes call it an idol, but it's not exactly an idol because you're not worshiping it, but it's in a place that it shouldn't quite be. If I think about in this context, many students, you know, studies is something that is important to you. Or at least important to your parents if they're forcing you to study. So it has to be important to you. (laughs) And studies is something that is valuable. We recognize the value. So what do we do? We are willing to sacrifice. When you start your degree, you look forward and you think it's going to be tough. It's going to be a lot of hard work. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to go to class. It's worth it to stay up. Late study and it's worth it to leave behind the friends that are going out to study. But you know, the closer you get to the end of that degree, this is my experience, it became less and less worth it. And I started thinking, why am I studying this? <laughs> you know? And you know, if you look at the stats, if you think first year dropout rate is a testimony in South Africa that it is just not worth it. It seems like it's not worth it to finish your degree because you need to look at value by your actions. And for many of our students, for many of us, we look at it and we go education it's important but it's just not worth it it's too tough in our relationships many people here have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and and hopefully you're with them because they think you're worth you think they're worth it you think they are worth your time you know so maybe look to the person you love or even just a friend it's not romantic and say you're worth it you know this is a great time to score brownie points I remember when I got married and my wife was coming down the aisle. It was the most amazing thing ever. They talk about the price of marriage. What price? It was the easiest thing in the world. This is not a sacrifice. This is amazing. And it felt like that for the first three months. And it was amazing. To, to make a cup of coffee, to make two cups of coffee, that doesn't cost me anything. And then, you know, the honeymoon phase, you know, wears off. And then work gets tough. And then you get home and then to make an extra cup of coffee it just costs a lot more <laughs> it's not that i don't do it or i didn't do it it just suddenly feels like a sacrifice okay now well, luckily we have such a wonderful marriage and it's so amazing that we are you know we're in it and we look at each other and we say you know we feel like it's worth it but you know let me tell you something <laughs> <laughs> We've come to the realization that it's not always going to feel like it's worth it. So we have to make some big decisions. And so as times get tougher, the cost increases. And the question is, at what point is it not worth it anymore? Look to your friend or the person you love and you say, I love you, but at some point you're not going to be worth it. Go, do that now, you know. (laughs) I love you, but at some point, at some point, you're not going to be worth it. You're not going to be enough. The cost of this relationship is just too high. Some people are still in deception. They think, never, 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 never. (laughs) At some point, the cost is too high. Because when times get tough, the cost increases. And are you willing to pay the cost? Well, only if it's worth it. And the lie that we sometimes believe, especially when we have something in our life that is, we thought it was worth it, it was enough for a time. But that was when the cost was low. But when the costs get higher, we begin to realize, hang on, I thought it was worth it, but not anymore. It's not worth it. I think of our church communities, if you belong to a church, hopefully, yeah, you belong to this church. And maybe, you yeah, because you like it, I'm going to level with you. It's going to get tough. It's going to get difficult. At some point, you think it's worth it. At some point, you can ask, is it worth it to stay here at messy Hatfield? Is it worth it? And the answer is no. It's not worth it. Not if you do that measurement. It's it's going to get real tough. It might feel like it's worth it now, but at some point, the cost is going to get high to stay here. We have a bit of an epidemic of church hopping throughout the whole world. And what it says is at some point the price of staying in this church got too expensive. So let's go to a cheaper church where it's not going to cost me as much to have relationship. It's not going to cut me. But then the problem is, is after a few months, after a year, the price starts to increase. So I need to find somewhere where I can afford it, where I can afford the relational cost. Is it worth it? Are the things in your, in your life worth it? It seems as we go along that actually, although many things might feel worth it now... Ultimately, the answer is actually no. South Africa, we live in a beautiful, sunny South Africa. Until the rain drops, then it's sad South Africa. That's how it is in my head. I love South Africa. Until the rain drops, then I hate South Africa. And I go, it's so worth it to live here. I can go on holiday. It's so cheap. It's so nice. I do not have to go overseas, and then there's no money. And then it just doesn't feel like it's worth it. And I've asked myself the question in the last year or two a number of times as a Christian. Is it worth it to stay in South Africa? And unfortunately, the answer for me personally has been no. I wish I could give you a nice Christian answer, but many times I thought, no, actually, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. And this reveals something that when we talk about these temporal things, these things that aren't eternal, that aren't consistent, these are amazing God-given things. If we think about our family, our spouses, our work, our country that God put us in, these are amazing things. But they have a limit. Everything has a price. And are you willing to pay that price? And remember, value is something that is bestowed by how much you're willing to pay for it. And everything has a price. And we can sometimes be deceived into thinking we're willing to pay the price, but it's not. We're willing to pay the current price, the cheap price. But the moment times get tough and times will get tough, that's where we really know if it's worth it. And I know in my life, for many of things, these things, the answer has been no. Maybe you're an amazing person, amazing, super Christian, and you can still say these things are worth it. But let me tell you, that thing's going to be challenged. You might answer yes, but I know in my life, this is my failure, that time after time after time, if I'm honest with myself, I have to answer no. It's actually not worth it. And so, how long will we live in this way? Where we trick ourselves into thinking our motivation, the reason we're doing something is worth it. And this, it's quite interesting because we're talking a little bit about persecution and when times get tough. Our theme is about how to have faith to flourish. Last term as a t- last, church, uh, last uh, term as a church, we're talking about how to have faith in tough times. But we want to progress, and we want to ask the question: when times get tough? How do we flourish? How do we live in a world where the cost? increases continuously and where we are tempted to withdraw or to run away or to get angry. Good question. How many of you think that you are paid well enough at work? How many of you think that you're not paid well enough at work? Wow, we find an agreement amongst Christians. (laughs) In a place where, you know what, because you feel like you're more valuable and they're not paying you enough. Okay, so you're in a place already where there's attention, And so the question is, is this work worth it? It's a big question to, to ask yourself. And in many cases, it's not. For many companies in South Africa over the last few years, and we know over this coming time as well, there's going to be no raises. And so you're not going to get paid what you're worth. Definitely not. And the answer will increasingly become, you know, is it worth it? And it will feel more and more like, no, it's not worth it. And so we think of our economic realities. You know, know people that have lost jobs and it's difficult and it's, and it's real, real tough. And we think of our work realities and, and not being valued and not having enough. And, and maybe, you know, you feel like you're in a country and maybe you feel like the government doesn't value you, don't see you. Or something like that. Whatever you feel, it just feels perhaps eventually like this is not enough. It's time to check out. It's just not worth it. And so... When you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, why it's so encouraging for us tonight is because these circumstances, this dynamic that was going on, was going on with the Thessalonian church. And if you've got a Bible, will you quickly turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? We want to pick out just two key verses. It is such a rich chapter of Scripture and it has so much to say about how to live in persecution, how to be bold, how to be courageous. But the words that I want to bring out tonight, which I I think are for our community, really, is in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11. And these Thessalonians, they were struggling in some ways just as we are. And for them, they were struggling to find a reason to carry on because of the persecution. A few years earlier, it had been easy to live for Jesus, to live differently in their context. But now that the persecution had come, their faith was wavering. And for many of them, they they were asking the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to carry on if it means we're going to die? And Paul says in verse 11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. These two verses can so change our life because what we see is a model of how Paul deals with these hopeless people, with these people that are at a place where they want to quit, at a place where they've realized that what they've been living for actually is a bit of a lie. They thought it was worth it, but they didn't realize the actual cost. And Paul's approach in those first two verses, he says, "...we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children." Paul's view of Father God was one of closeness. In Romans 8, we read about our Abba Father, someone who loves us, who cares for us. And Paul encouraged Christians to treat others as as Abba Father would treat them. And so Paul starts by looking at these dejected, hopeless people and by modeling the Father's love. He says, I have cared for you in the same way a father cares for their children, Another way of saying that is that God cares for you as His child. Paul starts by bestowing value on them. He says, you are valuable because God cares for you. And in verse 12, he says, I want to encourage you, comfort you, and I want to urge you. And here's where Paul shifts. He he moves from encouraging them with the Father's love to giving them a new sense of purpose, to giving them a reason to live. He says, you need to live lives worthy of God. You see, what often happens in our context, and it's, and it's these good things. So we take a Christian who, they start following Jesus, and they hear His call, and they're saved, and they feel the Father's love. But somewhere on the, along the line, they start living for the church. And the church becomes the reason. And if they're in a good church and things are going well, it's a good enough reason. But when things go bad, as they inevitably do, then that gets challenged to the core. And it seems so subtle and it seems fine because you can live years living for the church, but because it's not God, it will fail you. And And you'll come to a place where when that question is asked, is it worth it? The honest answer is no. And so Paul recognizes this in the Thessalonians, and although he encourages them, he also challenges them to shift their hearts, to not live lives worthy of whatever they thought was worthy. For many of them, they thought the gospel was worthy. This is where we're getting dangerous ground. They thought it was enough to just live for the gospel, to spread the message, to live for ministry, to live for your purpose. And Paul says, no, sorry, even that is not enough. Your work, your purpose, your ministry your church, your family, your spouse, your studies, your country, it's not enough. There's only one thing that is enough. There's only one thing worthy, and that is God. Live lives worthy of God. You see, God bestows value according to the price that He's willing to pay. And so we see in those first verses, how amazing is this, is that when you look around, and before, right before we got into the section, you know, we're joking about it, but actually we're honest. We look at our friend and we say, I love you, but at some point you're not going to be worth it. That is something you're never allowed to honestly say, but that is the truth. At some point they're not going to be worth it. But for God, because they're not worth it because you can't pay the price for them. But God bestows value by the price that He pays. And so he looks at your friend and your wife and your country and your work. And he says, he looks at the price, maybe does a little calculation and he goes, it's worth it. And he proves it. He actually pays the price. That's in John 3.16. He sends his son and he sends him to die. He sends him to pay the price. So when God looks, he looks differently. And he sees us and he sees someone that is fallible. He sees someone that is really seemingly in all human terms, actually not worth it. Where every other human being would go, no, it's not worth it. But he looks at you and he sees something, and he says it's worth it. And I am willing to pay the price for you. He bestows value. And so something shifts where if I think about my work, when I'm trying to get my value from work, it can't give me something back. But when God comes into the picture, and I move God out of, sorry, I move work out of the place of the thing that I should live for, and I put God in there, then I begin to value God. I begin to live for God. And God is the only one who is actually worthy. I get value from him, but he's also the only one who's able to give value to me. He's the only one who's able to afford me. I wish my wife could afford me. I wish that I could afford her, (laughs) but I can't. I can't afford her. I want to impress I want to buy all these things, but at some point, I'm not going to have enough. But God can afford her. He's the only one who can pay the price. And so this changes the dynamic because now God becomes the center and, and we're encouraged to, to bring Him to be the center. And then we live, not for the church, not for our spouse, not for anything else. We live for the only one who is worthy. We live for God because He is worthy. Only God is worthy of our lives. Only Jesus is worthy of our lives. If we live for getting the A on the test, we're always going to at some point be disappointed. It's not enough. If we live for things to go well in South Africa, when the economy flourishes, it's going to be worth it. But when it's not, it's not going to be worth it. But you know what? No matter what changes, no matter how badly the outward circumstances change, if we're living for someone who's worthy, then it's always worth it then it doesn't matter how much you get paid at work. It doesn't matter if your country tries to kill you eventually. It doesn't matter if your wife leaves you. It doesn't matter if your wife treats you terribly, or even if she treats you well. That's not your foundation. You are doing it because he is worthy, not because she is worthy or because your work is worthy. And when you look at them, you love them because they are worthy, but not because of something they've done, but because someone paid the price for them. And so this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is the heart of what Paul is getting to. And if I can ask the worship team to come up, because our application tonight, such a powerful application I'm excited for, because as, as I studied the Scripture and as, as the Lord was working in my heart, I really just saw a picture of a shift happening. That, that as I've spoken tonight, I wonder if... Something has come to light. If the Holy Spirit has perhaps been working on your life, and you know we don't have to wait until the thing we hold dear is not worth it anymore. We can make an adjustment now to say, Lord, I am not going to live for anything or anyone else except you. My life reason, the reason I'm going to get up in the morning is because, Lord, you are worthy. In the good times and the tough times. Tough times are coming and this is one of the only things that is going to hold us to keep us going is to know that this is worth it because the answer in the human, in the human uh, um, realm, in the logical realm is going to increasingly be no. If times are going to get tougher for you, everywhere around you it's going to seem like no. It's not worth it. And then more than ever we need to know why it's worth it. And it's worth it because He is worth it. And so we're going to end off with just the worship team. I've asked him to um, sing a song. We're going to sing Worthy of It All again, and we'll start in a moment. But this is our altar call. It's our chance to tonight if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you want to make an adjustment, and it's so easy. This is an encouraging time because you recognize that my heart is maybe not in the right place. I am doing this for myself. I'm doing this for my friend, I'm doing this for my child, I'm doing this for my wife, I'm doing this for my husband, but Lord, I don't want to do that anymore, I want to do this for you. I want to get up in the morning and I want to live because you are worthy. I recognize I'm not worthy, no one else is worthy, but Lord, you are worthy and you're going to give the value. And if you want to tonight make that shift, and I feel to say it's not a general thing, it's specific that, that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some people about things in their life and maybe it's an idol and an idol is often a bad thing. It can be a good thing as well. But maybe it's something that is so good. Maybe your work has been so good up to now and now everything has fallen apart. What a great opportunity. But maybe it's a relationship. I feel like some people, a relationship, a good relationship, relationship, has become the source of your happiness. And you need to make that shift tonight. And the way we're going to do it, I want to read one last scripture. But then the worship team is going to play and we're just going to sing that song once. And in that time, I want to encourage you. I know for some people, you can't do this and don't feel a pressure on this. But to, if you want to sometime in the worship, just to take a knee and to bow before the Lord and say, Lord, I am bowing before one who is worthy. That's how you make the shift. You're welcome to also come to the front and take a knee there, but also no pressure. You can also do in your heart, because I know for some people to take the knee, it's maybe there's a physical difficulty. That's not a problem. The Lord knows between you and the Lord. Uh, And as we start, I'm going to read one more scripture. Paul encourages us with these words in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And tonight, there's an opportunity to fix your eyes on someone who is internal. I'm going to pray. Lord, tonight, we recognize that you alone are worthy. God, we want to do this because you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are our reason. And we want to repent if we have made someone or something else our reason. We recognize that they are never going to be enough. That only you are worth it. And so we respond to you, Holy Spirit, and we say, you are worthy. Amen.